Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roto World Baseball Show. I'm your host, Eric Samolski, joined by Scott Pianowski uh, as we continue our series looking at position previews. Uh, spring training has officially begun, Scott. Pitchers and catchers have reported. Um, does it feel like baseball season to you? It really does. And you know, with the Super Bowl just uh, finally in the rearview mirror, we saw a great overtime game between the Chiefs and the Niners. It's full, you know, blown fantasy baseball season, draft prep season, uh, best ball draft season, draft and hold season, auction drafts, all the stuff you can do at Yahoo, all the stuff you need Roto World for. And I haven't drafted yet, Eric. I'm, I'm in the midst of my prep. I did work on a magazine in uh, in the off season, but I, I'm I'm ready to go. These shows, I feel like, are as much for me getting my your P's and Q's in line as they are for anybody who's going to be listening to them. So again, once the Super Bowl is over, it's like, yeah, fantasy baseball all the time, 24 seven, let's do it. Yeah. These shows are, are super helpful. Um, You know, DJ and I did the first position preview uh, before the Super Bowl. We did first base Um, today. Scott and I are attacking second base and we'll do catcher later this week. And we're going to kind of keep going through all of them. Um, You know, Scott mentioned, all the different types of, of drafts. And I think that's what's great about these ranking shows is, you know, you hit like, you know, your top 20, but also trying to get some sleepers and some rookies. And you wind up kind of going through a lot of names that can factor in um, to a lot of different drafts. Like you, you know, I, I've been churning out a lot of baseball content, but it's been so focused on, you know, stuff for the magazine and, and starting pitchers. My top 100 starting pitcher list came out last week. So looking at hitters now, it's kind of like, okay, now I'm starting to like, you know, break down the list and, and go through, you know, kind of like playing time is such a huge factor and, um, you know, all these kind of like larger discussions that I, I kind of agree that this, um, these ranking shows are, are really kind of important for that. And just so people know, like, you know, we're talking the very beginning of February, these rankings will shift, you know, as you get into the drafts, I think it gives you a good sense of kind of like where some guys are, um, but they're not necessarily like set in stone. Um, I did want to ask you just a, a larger question about second base, which is uh, obviously our, our talking point today. Um, I find it to be one of the most interesting positions um, when you talk about kind of the state of the position. Um, obviously, the big news is that in almost all league formats, uh, Mookie Betts is now eligible at, at second base this year. 
um, which makes a huge kind of difference to the overall player pool. But in my um, fantasy baseball state of the union that I did at the end of last year, I looked at kind of the, the overall contributions at second base um, of second baseman who had at least 200 plate appearances last year, only eight of them hit 20 home runs or more, which was the lowest of any position that wasn't catcher. Only six of them had 70 RBIs last year, which was the lowest of any position that wasn't catcher. Uh, only 13 of them had 15 or more steals. Does it feel to you like there's maybe a lack of top end talent at the second base position? I think that actually speaks to the position being top heavy and anybody who's a second base sympathizer or apologist might say, well, a lot of these guys are hitting high in their lineup. So you're, you're looking for a lot of runs scored from some of these Mm -hmm. guys. I was surprised when you ran through the list of stats that you just did and profiling the position, I'm surprised there wasn't more stolen bases to be had. You generally Mm -hmm. think of this position where you can get your steals and we're kind of moving to a model now where a second baseman might have more power than traditionally they had in previous years. It used to be a lot – your classic second baseman would hit like 8 to 12 home runs and maybe he'd steal 20 bases or something like that and hit for a yeah. plus average. You know, bat second in the lineup, he has to bunt once in a while. But those days are over. Nobody bunts anymore. Everybody hits home runs. And we saw last year with the rule changes, everybody's stealing bases again. So the game mm-hmm. has definitely shifted some. What I take away from what you just said, the outline you just gave me, that makes me more, if I'm Mookie Betts or somebody else, push comes to shove, I might want to take bets. I'm a Marcus Simeon guy. Mm-hmm. And there's like, a, I think, a, a top four at this position that I'm probably going to draft proactively. And I I don't go into a draft thinking, oh, I, I got to fill this position. It's, it's ugly. If I don't get one of these three or four guys, I'm screwed. I'm not looking at right. that way. But I'm going to break a lot of ties early on with taking a, a second baseman, I think. I, in fact, the infield... In general, I don't think first base or third base are as deep as they have been in years past. Uh, the outfield has tons of good players. I, I think I'm going to want uh, my first five offensive players. I want at least three of them to be infielders. Yeah, I. So for me, I look at um, like you mentioned Simeon. Obviously, we talked about bets. Like there are you know high end talent here, but a lot of other positions have the like. Oh, this is a first round lock. This is a second, third round lock. Whatever it is. Second base feels to me like there's Mookie Betts is obviously very firmly in the first round conversation. And then when you get to the next guys who we'll talk about later, it's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're good. They're good players. Nobody is making me like run to the draft board to pick them. And then when we go through our rankings, I see a lot of guys who are solid contributors, you know, in a lot of different categories. And I could see, you know, not waiting a really long time at second base, but I could see like, you know, filling out like your first base, third base, shortstop, whatever it is, and then seeing which of these guys kind of falls um, at second base, because I really do think that there are some intriguing um, position. There's some intriguing guys later, even if there aren't, you know, your quote unquote studs. Um, And to your point about, we usually expect more speed. I definitely think there are certain players who, who will, uh, probably cross like that 15 stolen base threshold that I, I put on there, which is, I guess, a little bit arbitrary, but, you know, just felt like a nice number. I mean, you've got guys like Matt McLean and Zach Geloff had 14 stolen bases. They didn't play, obviously, a full season because they were rookies. So I think you'll still see some more speed there. Um, it is it is very much, as you pointed out, a runs and speed, and there's a fair amount of batting average assets here as well, um, but not as much power. And I also think that 
when you look at the second half, uh, I'm looking at my top 20 that we're going to discuss in a little bit. And there comes a point where, I don't know, second baseman seven, eight, nine, whatever it is. I don't see that big of a difference between any of those guys yeah. and the players I have at 15, the players I have at 18, the players I have at 20. I could tell myself a story that, that Zach Geloff could be better than you could tell Marte. And even though I have sure. them like seven or eight slots differentiated on my list. Um, so there's, there's, we see this like in fantasy football, like the tight ends at some point get all the same. It's like, you just, you're not getting anything better than what you're going to get three or four or five rounds later, or maybe even deeper than that in a fantasy baseball draft. The second base certainly becomes a back burner position for me in the middle of a draft, because I see so many of these players are similar. And then you look at like the Cincinnati situation where playing time is going to be a mess, even though they have a couple of second base eligible players who I, I really do like from a skills perspective, but they have too many players for not enough batting slots. Maybe somebody will get mm-hmm. hurt and that will kind of clean itself up. But um, there comes a point where this position is not going to be a priority for me just because I see seven or eight guys who all are pretty Agreed. similar. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think I annoyed the producers when I sent like four versions of the list because I kept like tweaking like a mm-hmm. spot here or there because it's, it's so hard to, to differentiate. Um, I'm going to tell you some of the changes at the position, um, both in terms of just players picking up value and you know guys moving teams let me know if any of these guys that i mentioned or any of these moves that i mentioned stand out to you as being like particularly noteworthy uh, most recently we had jorge polanco uh traded from the minnesota twins to the seattle mariners uh the mariners had earlier in the offseason traded for Luis arias from the the Red Sox and it looked like he was going to be getting some extra time um, in the infield second base or third that now is uh, a little bit uh, more cloudy uh, Colt Keith the top prospect for the Tigers signed um, a preseason multi year extension which seems to suggest that he will you know break camp with the team um, Vaughn Grissom uh, who was with the Braves went to the Red Sox. Um, in the Chris Sale trade. And then uh, some people's overall top prospect, Jackson Holiday for the Orioles, is apparently going to get reps at second base um, in spring training. So of any of these second base news items in the offseason, w- do any of those stand out to you? They're all interesting. I mean, Holiday is at the top of most of the prospect list. It's just a matter of when he's going to get a chance to play. And Baltimore is such a fun team. And, and they finally added some pitching too. I I think right now they're the favorite in the AL and a very competitive AL East. As a Red Sox fan, it's hard to be excited about the team right now, but I think Grissom was a really good buy low. He looked like an interesting mm-hmm. player two years ago. He's still, what, 23, I think, I want to say, into this season. He so he, he certainly yeah. makes sense. I think we know who Jorge Polanco is. I mean, he's into an age 30 season. He's not going to run much. He'll hit a little bit of power, but you probably won't move the needle there. He's just one of those boring guys that you'll take at the end of your draft when he's there, when nobody else wants him, there'll be no elbowing out of the way. I like Colt Keith. I, I, I like the fact that he signed this extension because it, it tells you it's not what teams say necessarily. It's what teams do. And when you sign somebody right. to an extension to a deal before they even play in the majors, that tells you what they're, there's no reason to play the, our, the um, control game or when does he come up the moment they think he's ready to contribute, he comes in and, I think the Tigers have a legitimate chance. Maybe I'm just feeling a whiff of enthusiasm because the Lions had such a great season, but the AL Central is not a great division. I think the Tigers, if their pitching is as good as I think it has the potential to be, and they had some interesting offensive breakouts last year, they can stay healthy. I think they could win this division, and I I think Cole Keith probably is going to play the majority of the season at second base. So uh, all these guys are somewhat interesting. Polanco maybe less so. 
but we're talking about three young players all on the escalator and all on mm-hmm. team. I don't think the Red Sox are going to be that good, but Baltimore's going to be good. I think Detroit's going to be better. So these are players I'd be interested in drafting in the in the late rounds, or if you're in a keeper league or, or something like that, we can get a, a cheap price on them and maybe keep these guys for multiple seasons. Holiday's going to be fought over, but I think right. Keith and Grissom are kind of screen values right now. Yeah, I think that also speaks to the depth that we were talking about before, is you have this influx of other young players who now might kind of push uh, the you know the overall uh, depth at the position up. Um, I agree with you. I think those guys are all worth watching. Um, Keith is somebody who now that we know he seems locked into a spot. Um, I think will is still going late in drafts, but again these drafts have have just started. Um, but is somebody for sure that we need to be looking out for. Um, the there was other, one other trade. The Rays traded for Jose Caballero, who was a, a utility infielder for the Mariners, but now he seems to be locked into a shortstop position. But again, he's second base eligible in fantasy drafts. Um, I'm not overly interested. I mean, I think there's a good speed component there in deep leagues, and and I think he can play for, for Tampa. Um, do you feel like there's any – am I missing something? Or is it just like if you're in a deep league and you need speed, great, but otherwise he doesn't really do that much for you? Yeah, maybe you could – push for him in an OBP league because we know he does get on base, but the batting average may not play. And what does Tampa Bay love to do? They love to set a different lineup every day. I don't know that he'll be a full-timer. Although Tampa Bay is often right when they make trades, yeah, I like to backline bet them in certain situations. I just don't know if the average is going to play here. You're not going to get a lot of power. And it might be a case of if you're in a league where you set lineups weekly, I mean, you may be getting four or five starts a week. That's not enough. So he's a, he's a guy you – because you, Tampa Bay has been right so often with these types mm-hmm. of moves, you pay attention to him. But uh, he's not he's, – he'll probably be somebody who'll be on a waiver wire to start the season in most mixed leagues. Yeah. And then as of right now, there are really only like three notable names who are left unsigned at the position. It's uh, Whit Merrifield, Elvis Andrews, and Colton Wong. Do, do any of those guys interest you if they were to land in the right spot? Or do you feel like all those guys are kind of like waiver wire, see if they, you know, get into a good situation once the season starts? Yeah, they'd have to land in perfect spots, like a Colorado perfect spot because of the thin air or in a, a loaded lineup spot. Although all of those guys on a loaded team, I think would bat seventh, eighth or ninth. Mm-hmm. So I, they're going to have to prove it to me. And I, I've had a lot of good times with Whit Merrifield, but, and somehow he made the all-star team last year, but Toronto yeah. didn't want to bring him back. And Andrews is at an age now. You just can't count on the speed anymore. And he needs that to be a fantasy factor. And Colt Wong was a guy we had some fun times in St. Louis. Uh, he hasn't been the same player the last couple of years. Seattle, Milwaukee hasn't really worked out. So these are guys that I'm not going to draft and they're going to, you know, look, I'm open-minded to change my mind if they land somewhere or they get off to a yeah. hot start. Um, anything that happens in season, I'm going to take more seriously than whatever I think in February. Sure. But uh, for now, they're not on my draft radar, any of these guys. Um, and I guess one last name, um, he only had 19 games started at second base last year. So he might not qualify in every league, but it's Ahmed Rosario. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a name where I know he's been floated to like maybe with the Marlins and that could be open up a starting shortstop spot. Is there a situation where you see yourself intrigued by Ahmed Rosario? The thing with Rosario is that I don't think you can bank on stolen bases from him anymore necessarily. I, I mean, he's he, he has had 20 stolen bases since 2018. It's just so funny how when the Mets called him up, they thought he was going to be the star and he wasn't that player mm-hmm. at all. He'd have to land somewhere on a team that wants to run and saw him as somebody who might bat first or second with a career OBP that's barely over 300. Right. It's hard to it's hard to see that. He actually kind of struck me as the perfect Cleveland player. They have so many boring players on offense. 
and Rosario seemed to fit, although they have some better OBP guys than Rosario was. But uh, I'm not sure that he is good enough to be a starter right now. We'll see. Um, maybe an injury forces somebody's hand, but mm-hmm. not has, has not turned into the player that we thought he was going to be when he was in. You know, if DJ were here, we'd be commiserating. We know he's the long suffering <laughs> fan, but you know, Ahmed Rosario well, was a hot prospect, and you know, we yeah. always talk about development isn't always linear, but. I mean, his last three seasons, he hasn't even gotten his OPS plus up to 90. So he's a basically a below average hitter, a below average offensive player. I think anywhere he signs, he's either a bench guy or he's somebody batting seventh, eighth, or ninth. Yeah. Though, though I guess, you know, the the upside for DJ is that that trade worked out pretty well for the Mets because, you for know, sure. neither one of those guys really developed the way that they necessarily thought that, that it would. Um, I'm slightly more interested in Rosario than you, but I agree. I think he's like a 10 homer, 15 stolen base guy if he, you know, has a full-time role. The 270, 260, 270-ish average, like, won't hurt you um, mm-hmm. and is actually, you know, depending on especially where he's going in drafts could be a little bit of a, of a boon. Um, but it's for me, it, it's for sure just a deep league only play that won't hurt you anywhere, but only helps you a little bit. But you know, that those kind of players going late in drafts can, can certainly have some value. One other thing I will say about Rosario, just as a player type. So he doesn't walk. Right. And we know that hurts his real life value, but the fact that he hits two, his career average is two seventy two and he doesn't walk means you actually get a little bit more bang for his buck because he's getting more at bats. So sometimes this is one of the most important things we do in fantasy is we have to separate real life value from fantasy value. I think you can actually make the case that Rosario is a slightly more valuable player in fantasy baseball than he is in real life. Mm -hmm. And don't get, tripped up on sometimes people will get tripped on oh well this player's overpaid or or this player's underpaid so they're more valuable yeah. than that stuff doesn't matter we just want the numbers right, in the exactly. case of rosario I, I, I think it's a he's not the greatest example of this well, there'll be more examples as we go through the series but we're always trying to figure out we want the stats and it doesn't necessarily yes. matter what their contract is i mean you know we care about playing time and security and all that stuff that's why defense matters sometimes if it keeps somebody on the field but just keep in mind that his 272 308 400 slash we like that he hits 272 for his career and that mitigates yeah. the fact that his obp isn't so great sometimes you hear it a lot more with like starting pitcher or, or closers or even like quarterbacks in football where it's like just don't watch them play sure um and i think there's a little bit of that with with some guys in fantasy baseball too that we don't think about it as like it might not look good, um, and you might get frustrated watching his four at-bats in a game, but at the end of the day, the stats will be there, and, and that's what matters. It's so funny you said it about closers. Cause I feel like there's like three or four closers I can watch with a calm stomach, and everybody else just basically drives me crazy. But and it's, a, it's a great analogy with the fantasy court. You think of somebody like Jameis Winston, right? It's like you just couldn't watch him, but at the end of the game, he'd have three, 310 and a couple of touchdowns, a couple of picks. And like, oh, okay, I got 20 points out of this somehow, and I didn't have to suffer yeah. play by play. I can't watch my closers. I have no actual evidence to back it up, but I just feel like they're always worse when I watch them. So yeah. I just don't do it. I don't I do I it. totally I think everybody who plays fantasy baseball can identify with that. If you yeah. didn't have Mariano Rivera or Dennis Eckersley right. or yeah. somebody who was, you know, Eric Gagne for a brief time with the Dodgers. But um, yeah, I mean even a guy like Josh Hader, it's like you watch him on the wrong day, it's like, oh, he just walked walked the first guy in five pitches. What's wrong with Hader? Is his elbow hurting? Did he land awkwardly? You know, you drive yourself nuts. <laughs> that blood pressure goes up. Um, so Scott and I are gonna get to um, our top twenty rankings. But before we do that, uh, the countdown to spring training is on. So for those looking to get a head start on their upcoming MLB season, you should grab your Roto World baseball draft guide. 
is loaded with comprehensive positional rankings, projections, player profiles to ensure that your fantasy baseball draft is a success. You can visit NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code baseball 24 to get 10% off at checkout. That's NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code baseball 24 to get 10% off at checkout. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, Another thing you can do is continue to listen to these positional previews. So we're going to go through – we're going to start from the bottom of our rankings and go up. Scott and I ranked 20 today. Uh, We're going to go through our guys ranked 20 through 13. Um, And then we'll get into our top 12, which would be technically – starters in 12-team fantasy leagues. Uh, so, Scott, who are your 20 through 13? So, Edward Julian, my number 20 second baseman in a part season, had 130 OPS plus. The Twins have committed to him as a starter. Ryan McMahon is my number 19 guy. And Colorado is just not as much fun on offense as it used to be, but we have to respect the thin air. Curious what Zach Geloff does. I have him at 18. was a really good player last year. We know the Oakland offense is a mess, and it, the whole situation with the team, the ballpark, are they staying, are they going? That could be troublesome. I don't really know what to make of Geloff, a guy who didn't really have a pedigree, but he was really fun last year. Brendan Drury will play in Anaheim, a kind of depressing year for them. They lose Otani, but Drury's going to have good lineup real estate. I think he's a very safe bet for 20 to 25 home runs. We'll probably gobble up a couple of positions. Tommy Edmond will run. I don't know where he'll slot in the lineup. I've been nervous about him the last couple of years. Always worried that he might get buried in a deep St. Louis lineup. I'm probably not going to draft Edmond. We'll see if that works out or not. I mentioned the Reds have a roster glutted with good players, too many good players. Jonathan India, I think, could be a, like a really important, impactful fantasy player if he gets 145 mm-hmm. games. I don't know if he has a reasonable path to that. That's why I can only rank him at number 15, uh, Nolan Gorman. Part of, again, that St. Louis lineup that's very deep, kind of came out of nowhere with the power last year, that St. Louis voodoo coming through. I found him a difficult player to rank, and I'm curious what you think of Gorman. What do we do with Andres Jimenez, right? Great season two years ago. He wasn't good last year. Generally, you kind of split the difference with that, and that's why mm-hmm. he slots as my running back, running back, as my second base 13. <laughs> Still getting football off my brain here, I downloading know. all that stuff. Uh, Andres Jimenez, second baseman, number 13, as we stand here in mid-February. Yeah, and we'll see um, there's a decent amount of, of crossover in ours. So I have Brandon Drury um, as my 20th second baseman, um, Edward Julian as my 19th second baseman, Tommy Edmond um, is my 18th second baseman, I have Luis Renjifo as my 17th second baseman, Ryan McMahon um, is my 16th second baseman, I have Nolan Gorman, 15th, I have Zach Geloff. 
14th, and then I have Luis Arias, 13th. Um, so that's it for uh, the 20 through 13 for us, uh, which you can see up there on the board um, if you are uh, streaming alongside of us. And I guess because we'll start with just a general discussion, because you mentioned Brandon Drury's multiple positions. Um, and then if you look on the board, also... Um, Luis Renjifo for me is somebody who he is second, short, third, and outfield eligible. Uh, Tommy Edmond is second, short, and outfield eligible. We mentioned Brandon Drury's multiple positions. How much do you factor that in when you rank guys like this? Um, the fact that you can kind of slide them all around. I mean, where we have these guys ranked, they're not in our top 12. They're not, most of them, some of you aren't in our top 15. So they're not starters at the second base position. They're more like middle infield targets. So do you, does that make them more valuable to you that you can slide them around your your lineup a little bit? Yeah, I feel like if, if you're in a salary cap league, it's worth like an extra buck or two. If you're in a draft league, maybe you break a tie between two similar players with somebody who can qualify at multiple positions, because that means when injuries hit or when the schedule lines up a certain way, you can just play the best player. It's, it's mm-hmm. like you think about a basketball team playing positionless basketball. I like to have a fantasy offense that to some degree is positionless. It's going to be, look, Freddie Freeman's only going to play first base, and we're fine with that. Freddie Freeman's great. You know, Ronald Acuna's only going to play the outfield. Some players you don't care where, where they slot because they're just such offensive behemoths, but – it's a great way to break a tie. It's a great way to decide to go an extra buck on a player. And another takeaway I had with the, with the two lists that we just submitted, the 20 to 13 guys, we had a lot of the same players. They weren't necessarily in the same slots. Right. We'll have a lot more agreement on the top half of the board. And I think this just speaks to what we said earlier about how this is a deep position. There's a lot of interchangeable parts. There are some guys you might have had three or four slots higher, three or four slots lower, but I don't have a major pushback on that. I think mm-hmm. these guys all kind of lump together. There's a lot of similar guys and in, in what their values may be. They may get it. What, you know, Gorman may be a power guy. Drury's going to be a power guy. With Geloff, you're looking for maybe the power-speed combination. Some players will hit for average. But I don't – if you and I were drafting together and you had a really strong opinion on one of these guys, you could probably right. easily win the argument with me because I don't feel dug in on these rankings. They feel very fluid. I mean, you mentioned before in the pre – process of doing this podcast you change your rankings like three different times and that speaks to i think how interchangeable this tier is yeah and that would be like you know i have ryan mcmahon over brandon drury if we were in a draft together and you took ryan mcmahon and i wound up with brandon drury i'm i'm not really upset about that um by the time my second base rankings are done i might have them flipped i i I do feel like there's you know people use the term the glob a lot with these rankings i do think there's a little bit of like a glob with some of these of these guys where they are kind of um, they're interchangeable in a way that we might get more information as spring training goes on. Um, For me, you know, I see Ryan McMahon, second base, third base eligible. We already talked about Renjifo. We already talked about Drury and their multi-position and they are players who I don't think anything is like incredibly exciting about rostering McMahon or Renjifo or Drury. You're not like, you know, uh, you know, pumping your fist in the air, but they are guys who at the end of the season, they'll get their stats. Um, we've said that about Ryan McMahon for years now, where it's like he almost consistently puts up the same line every single year in Colorado. He will hit between 240 and 250. He will hit you 20 home runs. He will steal you five to seven bases. He will get around, you know, 
80 runs and 70-ish RBIs even on a bad team, and you can move them around, and there's certainly value there. Um, you talked about that positionless aspect. I think in formats like NFBC, where there's no um, where there's no IL, it's really important to be able to have that uh, versatility because you don't have to drop somebody. You can move guys around. Uh, daily moves leagues, I think it's really um, valuable where, you know, if you're – you um, have a full slate of games and you want to get everybody into the lineup and you can be able to move, you know, guys around based on pitching matchups too. I think that's incredibly valuable. Um, you know, in an IL standard IL league, that's like a weekly lineup lock. It might not be as important, but it's still great to have um, as a bench piece. Um, I did want to bring up Tommy Edmond as a multi-position guy because the Cardinals, you said you don't know what to do with them and you might not draft him. The Cardinals have said, that they want to prioritize defense, which means they want Mason Wynn at shortstop. They want Tommy Edmond in center field because they believe Edmond can be a gold glove center fielder. The two things that stand in that way are Mason Wynn has to win the starting shortstop job, right? He needs to be able to hit well enough to play short. And Tommy Edmond had offseason wrist surgery um, and claims he will be ready for opening day. But I kind of feel like uh, the wrist injuries for hitters – without a lot of lead up time, like they worry me, you know, Edmund is not like a power hitter anyway, but the wrist is important for all aspects of hitting. And if, if you're, if he makes it for opening day or slightly after there's, there's no reason for them to rush him back. Let's say he starts the year on the IL and comes back two weeks later, it might be another month before that wrist feels fully healed. Um, and so he was a player I struggled to rank too, because I, I didn't know how much to dock him for that. A great point about the wrist comeback, and you know, we don't know what phase of his rehab he'll be when the season starts. Another thing I think it's fascinating about Edmund, last year his two most common batting slots were first, where he started 42 games, and last, where he started 53 games. And when a player's value is so significantly tied to stolen bases, I need him batting in a good slot. Now, yeah. I think the St. Louis lineup will be fine. And you mentioned how important defense is to this team. Was it two years ago? They won five gold gloves. I think last year I thought, oh, I'll just take all these St. Louis pitchers because the defense is so good. It, unfortunately, the pitchers weren't really as good as I wanted them to be. So that strategy didn't work out. But right. we know they prioritize defense there. And they have a, a lot of, not, not just great defenders, but guys like Edmund who can play great defense at many different positions. I think his spot in the lineup is secure. But yeah. if he's going to bat seventh, eighth, or ninth, and, and I know this is, this is maybe more noise than signal, but when he did bat lead off last year, 42 games, he had an on-base percentage of 278. He did have a better on-base percentage batting lower in the lineup. It was 323 batting ninth. But um, I don't think he fits. The, I think they have better guys to hit first and second in this lineup. So I'm afraid if Edmund hits ninth, you've just thrown away a lot of at-bats. Now, they're, they're going to let him run no matter what. So he's right. there's not a lineup slot that's going to maybe take away his stolen base value. But to me with the wrist lingering over his profile and the fact that he could easily bat in the bottom third of the lineup, that makes him an easy fade for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I'm curious your thoughts on um, Edward Julian. You had him 20th. I have him 19th. So we're, we're seemingly in lockstep or close to at this point, the earlier trade that we mentioned of Jorge Polanco going to the Mariners appears to have opened up a full-time role um, for him despite all of the concern of him being a below average defensive second baseman, according to StatCast outs above average, he ranked 
He had a zero score last year in over 500 innings at second base. That means he is exactly league average. Um, so do you feel more comfortable? Was he in your, would he have been in your top 20 before the trade? Or do you feel more comfortable drafting him now? Because it seems like there's more of a playing time for him. Well, here's the chicken egg thing with Helene. Right now projected to bat leadoff, but could be in a platoon. But right. as a lefty hitter, maybe you don't want him to face lefties because he's going to be less productive against them. Would you rather he play all the time or you just get the center cut? Again, this is very format dependent where if you're in a league where you make daily transactions, you might not mind if he's only playing against righties where a weekly format that could be troublesome. NFBC, NFBC you get the two roster periods. So you can fiddle around with that. But I like the fact that he's right now the leadoff hitter on paper. And I think he has at least a puncher's chance of getting the 500 plus at bats and, and everything they've done in the off season has shown that they've made a commitment to him. So I think he's interesting. I just, I can't project him for 600 at bats. And that's why I had, I think I had him 20th on my list. If for some reason, if you know, Willie Castro were to get hurt or just certain circumstances were to dictate that he was going to play all the time, I'd probably think about moving him up maybe to 15 or something like that. But for the most part, I think the twins have made it clear. They like the bat. They'll live with the defense. And I think he's probably not a league winner or anything, but I think he's probably a solid value for your utility middle or, you know, somebody you take at the end of your draft. Yeah. And he, he's somebody that I'm um, watching eagerly in spring training because I, there's a lot to like about um, the way he hits the ball, right? He has a 13.1% barrel rate last year as a rookie. Um, we know that he's flashed power uh, or at least adequate enough power in the minor leagues to be at least like a 20 home run hitter with a good average. He doesn't swing and miss a lot. Um, he had just a 10% swing strike rate last year as a rookie, but he had a 20 over 20% called strike rate. Um, and according to pitcherlist.com has this uh, swing aggression metric um, and he ranks uh, like in the like the eighth percentile in swing aggression, um, and that's where like he pops up on a lot of like his plate discipline is great, but he also just doesn't swing a lot. Um, and so while that will help him in like OBP formats, that is one thing where I I feel like there's more in the tank if he actually can get a little more aggressive within the strike zone. He takes a lot of called strikes, um, and so again he's a young player adjusting to the big league level. And I think there's a, you could get, tell yourself the narrative that in his second full year in his second year, he gets a little more comfortable. He starts getting a little more, uh, you know, selectively aggressive, maybe looking for his pitch early in counts, whatever. And we start to see that like really strong batted ball contact get to like 20, 22, 23 Homer power, um, and I think that makes him a little more interesting to me, but I, it's one of those things I need to see because everything so far in his career has been, he'll take an inordinate amount of strikes um, and is more than happy to strike out looking sometimes. And it's it frustrating when you're watching him. Oh, for sure. As somebody as a Red Sox fan, grew, you grew up watching JD Drew who liked nothing more than to watch the third pitch sail by him for a strikeout. And he'd walk back to the dugout, drove me crazy. You know, this twins lineup, by the way, Makes me a little nervous. I, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, Carlos Correa right now are their three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've lost money on all those guys. Uh, Alex Kirilov is somebody who I talk myself into about once a season. It, it, it never ends well. Oh, I, I think Minnesota's ready for like a 10-game fall in the standings, man. I, I know they have a, a decent pitching staff, and I have generally thought they have a pretty smart 
organization, but I mean, how many games can you ever expect Buxton to play? And you know, Correa, that Correa contract, I don't think is going to age well. I this team, they, they're counting on Carlos Santana, who's uh, going to be thirty eight this year, to be one of their regulars. I think the Twins can have a losing record this season. It it is. It feels like you could say with every team their success is health dependent, but it feels especially true to say with the twins, given Mm -hmm. not just in the rotation, but all those guys you mentioned who have long track records of injury with, you know, Buxton and Kirloff. Um, Correa, there's that like, you know, troubling foot injury that maybe got a couple contracts pulled um, from him in the off season a couple of years ago. So, so who knows? Um, We'll end this grouping with just, you know, you mentioned Zach Eloff and, and Nolan Gorman. They're two guys coming into like their second year. Gorman, um, should slot into the starting second base role. Um, obviously, there are some swing and miss issues. There's some potential um, platoon issues, especially with Brendan Donovan um, acting as like a super utility in St. Louis now that he's back healthy again. Um, Zach Geloff should play all the time in Oakland because why are you taking him out of the lineup? You're not really going to compete for anything. He's one of your best young players. Um, he showed an interesting power speed combo last year there is also similar strikeout concerns um he had a 27.3 percent strikeout rate last year so you know that 267 average that he you know ran may feel high but you know he could easily kind of be a 2020 um asset for you um I think you ranked Gorman higher than Geloff. For me, Geloff, the idea of the speed combo for Geloff and, and getting a potential 2020 guy, I thought was more intriguing. Um, do you feel strongly in, in Gorman over Geloff, or you're just kind of like um, you're intrigued but cautious on both these guys? I just felt more confident that what Gorman did might be sustainable. Maybe Geloff just came – both these guys came somewhat out of nowhere, but I felt like at least Gorman had more – of a minor league track record. And isn't it funny? I talked about earlier about St. Louis with the defense. It, it suddenly occurs to me, there's so much like Tampa Bay now where they're so defensive driven and they have so many guys who can slot at different positions and they're going to be, you know, this is why Roto world is in business. Cause you have to grind the Tampa Bay and St. Louis lineup every day because it, where is Brandon Donovan playing today? You know, where is he slotting in the lineup? Is Edmund batting leadoff? Is Edmund batting ninth? You know, is this a Gorman day or not? Um, mm. You know, it's a, uh, Newt Bar right now, ostensibly the number three hitter, but I mean, he'll probably sit against some lefties. So they're, they're going to be very um, creative and um, just a different lineup every day. And that, you know, that can be troublesome. I mean, last year I had Jordan Walker. I never knew when he was going to play, but yeah, um, Gorman, the bottom line though, Gorman, I think he could hit 30 home runs yes. and I'm not worried. I think both these players have a little bit of batting average risk. I don't think either one is going to collapse in batting average, but you might have to, offset their batting average. And I, I look at Geloff and, and he was good to me last year. I, I picked him up. He brings category juice. I think sometimes losing teams will say, well, the heck with it. Let's just run because we're going to win 55 games anyway. Mm-hmm. So let Estuary Ruiz steal 65 bases and let Zach Geloff run as much as he wants. But there's no lineup buoyancy here between the park being big and you know, they, they have three, four, five. You know, Brent Rooker wouldn't play on any good team. Seth Brown would be a bench player on any contending team. It's just – this is going to be one of the three or four worst offenses in baseball, and that's going to hurt Geloff's run production. So at the end of the day, even if Gorman has a worse batting slot, he's surrounded by such better lineup buoyancy. That's the way yeah. to get the check mark for me. 
Yeah, and I th- depending on your league formats, um, he played 18 games at third base last year as well. So there was, again, some, possession, some potential multi-position um, eligibility there, depending on your formats. So let's get to our top 12, um, who are guys that obviously in a 12-team league, we at this point feel comfortable starting at second base. Um, who's 12 through 1 for you? Yep, number 12, Ty- Tyro Estrada. Just needs to stay healthy, a solid category juice player. And the Giants, they won't have maybe a, a top offense, but I think they'll be at least better than average. Luisa Rise is kind of an unusual fantasy player because you're getting so much from batting average and you have to offset that he won't have a lot of category juice, but he still could hit 350. And I think he's an interesting player to consider. I don't really know what to do with Bryson Stott because he outkicked his coverage, I think, last year. I think some of it gets given back this season, but he did too much for me to ignore it. Philly should have a plus lineup. He's my 10 guy. Cattell Marte, he's kind of what you see, what you get right now, but Arizona's built a decent lineup around him. I think you do worse than him if you wait at second base. Is it funny how Glaber Torres used to be a hot prospect and kind of a hot fantasy commodity? Now he's like the boring veteran, and I think a lot of times you get good values on guys like that. He's my second baseman eight. I saw Kim decide to steal a lot of bases last year. His theme of the season we saw it around baseball. I don't know how real it is. I think maybe he gives back a few of those bags. There's a little bit of a roster glut in San Diego. They have some interesting prospects coming up too, but I couldn't ignore what he did last year. He's my number seven, mm-hmm. Matt McLean. The only thing that makes me nervous is Cincinnati has too many good players, but he really impressed me last year, and I'm not worried about him falling out production-wise. It just may be a matter of how much does he play. Uh, Nico Horner, a, a little bit like a rise where you're getting a lot of it in batting average. You won't get that much power from him he will run he is a plus defender so he's got a safe spot in the lineup i think he'll be a top five second baseman for most people and i know uh the top four i think is the same for both of us altuve at four jose altuve age 34 season ozzy albies wasn't really good two years ago but he was great last season he's my number three marcus simeon one of my favorite players in baseball i could talk all day about him and i'm sure we'll talk about him later on the show is my number two second baseman his age 33 season and I don't think anybody needs to be talked into Mookie Betts, just one of the signature players in baseball. He's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Obviously, the Dodgers have a, a loaded lineup coming back. You can use Mookie Betts all over the field now in Yahoo Fantasy. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, his eligibility there is uh, incredible. Uh, I had Bryson Stott as my 12th second baseman. I had Cattell Marte. Uh, ranked 11th, Andres Jimenez, who just missed your top 12, um, is my 10th overall second baseman. Uh, Tyro Estrada was 9 for me. Um, Hassan Kim was 8th. Glaber Torres, 7th. Matt McClain, 6th. Uh, Nico Horner was 5. Jose Altuve was 4. Ozzy Albes was 3. Marcus Simeon was 2. Mookie Betts was 1. Um, so as you can see, um, uh, now that the... Rankings are up. The top six is identical for us. The top eight is identical in terms of the players. Uh, we flipped Kleber Torres and Hassan Kim, but again, um, you know, the, the top eight feels uh, comfortable, at least from my perspective. I guess this is the point to address. Um, we can talk about uh, Luis Arise, right? The, there's an elite production in one category. We understand, you know, batting average. The, the batting average there will be elite we don't know what else we're going to get um what what is the philosophy for you with a player like that is it kind of build dependent um like depending on where you've gone in your earlier picks you either have him higher or lower the thing i like about arise is that if you do roster him it just frees you up to take 
a lot of power sources who don't contribute in batting average. It, you, you'll have all sorts of flexibility at catcher where there's a bunch of guys I could see hitting 25 or 30 home runs, but they might hit 212. I mean, Cal Raleigh's only one of them. There's like five or six guys, and we're doing the catchers later this week. We'll talk a lot about those players. And at least Rice has a little bit of power. He did hit 10 home runs last year, eight the season before. doesn't run much. It's it's not for everybody. I mean, some people just don't want a player who doesn't contribute the category juice, and you're not going to get in the Miami lineup probably – I don't know. At best, it's 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 maybe league average. I, I don't think there's a lot of upside to this lineup. The park isn't a great place to hit necessarily. But if you do take him, I I don't think you have to proactively target him either. I think he's just the type of player. His the way he produces is such a boring thing. You know, he hits a bunch of singles. You know, he's not even an, an extra base guy. He only had thirty doubles last year, so he singles you to death. You're not going to have to elbow people out of the way for him. So I, I could see if the value is reasonable. I would take him and think, okay, I'm going to make up power from because there's a bunch of guys, not just catchers, there's a bunch of outfielders. You, you think of like the Hunter Renfro types who have power, but they might hit 227. Once you have a rise on your roster, I think it frees you up for some flexibility with some of your later picks. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Um, there's not much to add from that. Uh, I did want to talk about Andres Jimenez. Um, you had mentioned that maybe his true talent was somewhere in between what he did in 2022 and what he did last year. And I think a lot of people were suggesting that after the 2022 season because he hit 297, but the BABIP was super high and it seemed like the average shouldn't have really been as high as it was. Now the, the BABIP drops incredibly low in, in 2023. The barrel rate was still pretty much um, the exact same. He did try to lift the ball a little more. Um, and so the hard hit numbers went down. So I wonder if that was a little bit of um, an approach shift that maybe was something he could address. There's no real reason for Andres Jimenez to be trying to lift the ball um, an incredible amount, right? He, he has decent power, but he's not necessarily a power hitter. Um, but we saw, you know, the swinging strike rate actually improve. Um, he did chase a little bit more out of the zone, but I look at this as like, He's basically a 15 homer guy. The new rules uh, bumped. We knew he had good speed. He stole 20 bases in 2022. He went up to 30 last year. I think getting 25 plus from him feels pretty safe if he stays healthy all year. So a 15 homer, 25 stolen base hitter who can go 260, 270 um, as with the batting average, it feels pretty good to me. I mean that that is solid five category production. Um, I understand that the Guardians lineup isn't um, thrilling, but, you know, th- there are guys in there that can get on base. Um, you know, Jimenez will hit in the top of the order, most likely, um, with Stephen Kwan in front of him, with Jose Ramirez, Naylor, Ramon Laureano, potentially Kyle Manzardo behind him, depending on if he kind of lives up to some of that that prospect hype that um, he's had. So I feel like there's still decent enough runs and RBIs to be had for for Jimenez that you're getting, you know, solid contributions across five categories. Not in the way you do with some of the guys at the top here, but in a way that's at least worth rostering. You make a reasonable case. I do worry about the depth of the Cleveland lineup, but Jimenez should slot second, as you said. And, you know, at least Quan is an on-base percentage machine in front of him. And obviously, you know, Jose Ramirez is one of the best players in baseball. I just look at him and as four seasons, and I realize his first two seasons were partial seasons. One of them was the COVID season, but his OPS plus has been 101, which is basically league average, 74, which is terrible, 
141, which got him in the MVP conversation. He finished sixth that year. And then last year it was 98. So back to a league average player again. I mean, just, I like to see, maybe it's something that makes me sleep at night. That's unrealistic, but I like to see just a little bit more consistency or projectability to a player. And I, I just see him bouncing around like a lottery ping pong ball. It just makes me a little Mm -hmm. bit nervous. At least he's going to run. We know Cleveland, you know, even with a new manager and everything that they're going to run. It's part of what they do. I think his batting slot is probably safe, but Cleveland's not a destination offense for me. It's actually enough for, I think, Jose Ramirez is a fade for me because I just don't want to look at the Cleveland box score and see they scored one run again. Yeah, I, I don't, I like to have players around, good players around other good players. And I think that's going to be a problem for Ramirez. But with him and as I just, I've seen four seasons that are all different, no consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. He, he's actually hit by, by 25 pitches two years ago, which inflated his OBP. But I always wonder if that leads to players getting hurt too. I have no data on that. Just a kind of a pet theory of mine. Bottom yeah. line, I haven't seen a consistent profile from him. It's an offense I'm trying to avoid. So I, I think that's why we had a gap in our rankings. It's just a, other players at this position I like more. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, I also wanted to mention with Tyro Estrada, you know, uh, 14 stolen bases, tw- sorry, 14 home runs, 23 stolen bases last year with a 271 average. Feels like a very similar season to 2022, but he played 20 fewer games because of injury. Um, and his production, offensive production, actually dipped after he came back from injury. Um, so something to keep in mind because I think Estrada was off to a pretty solid uh, season last year. Um, and we both have him, um, I forget, did you have him in the top 10 or just outside of your top 10? He uh-huh. is uh, 12th for me. Right, 12. I had him 9. I mean, I think that he's definitely a starting second baseman in 12-team leagues. Um, I think there's a, a case for him higher. Um, just also to address uh, a concern I hear a lot about Matt McClain, people talk about how the batting average will go down because of his 28 percent strikeout rate um much like um, edward julian who we talked about before matt mcclain had just a 10.5 percent swinging strike rate which is better than league average but a 22.1 percent called strike rate it was like the eighth worst in baseball of players who had um over 200 sorry over 150 plate appearances he has never been that passive um, in the minor leagues. He also, in the minor leagues, pulled the ball way more than he pulled the ball um, early in his major league career. So for me, I see a young player who's you know a, taking the time to adjust to, to major league pitching. I don't think that he's going to be as passive as he was um, last year. And I think that's where the strikeout rate comes from. The strikeout rate doesn't come from swinging strikes for McLean. It comes from those called strikes. And so I think that some of the like, oh, the average is going to fall like, sure, he might not hit uh, 290, but I see some people slotting him in as like a 240 or 250 hitter, um, and I just don't think that's who he is. Um, and as you mentioned, there is a there is a lot of playing time concern in Cincinnati, but he is an above-average defensive shortstop, um, which I think gives him a little bit more uh, leeway than some of these guys at, at the position, is I don't think you really want to take him out of the lineup that much um, because your, your defense would suffer. Um, I want to ask you about this top five for a second. Um, do you s- actually, well, let's just go to the top two because our top, sorry, second and third. I think we all know Mookie Betts is, is number one. Um, there kind of seems to be like a, 
a case to put Albies a little higher than Simeon because of stolen bases. Um, also, people have mentioned so much that Simeon is an accumulator, right? He constantly um, is up among the league leaders, if not the league leader in plate appearances. And, you know, how long could that possibly go on? At some point, he's going to miss some games. Do you have any concern over that kind of like durability of Simeon? You said you could talk about him for, for hours. How about just a couple of minutes? <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe hours I overshot it, but <laughs> I can certainly talk about him for a couple of minutes here. Uh, congratulations to the Rangers, the defending world champions. Get back soon, uh, Corey Seager. Man, I'm going to miss that guy at the beginning of the season, it looks like. But here's the thing with Simeon. As you mentioned, you look at his baseball reference page, pl- plate appearances. He's led the majors in plate appearances in four of the last five seasons. He's uh, played a full schedule in four of those seasons. He only missed a handful of games during the COVID season. And then even going back to 2018, he played 159 games with, with Oakland. I think this is feature, not bug. I think this speaks to a guy who, look, anybody can get hurt. You, you, a fastball runs in on your wrist, and you know, next thing you know, you're out for two months. Uh, everybody's at the risk of that. But this speaks to a guy who takes care of himself, who understands nutrition, understands preparation, sleep, stuff like that. I, I, you don't. It's not an accident that the same guys have this type of durability and also just wanting to stay in the lineup. Some guys are like that. Other guys want – they need the periodic rest. I don't know. I, I, I've seen it enough times, and I realize if he gets hurt, somebody's going to say, aha, Marcus Simeon, you know, you you bought him, you drafted him thinking right. he's going to yeah, play 160 yeah. games again. I mean, anybody can get hurt by a fluke, you know, mm-hmm. and then for some reason it just didn't happen to Cal Ripken. I, Marcus Simeon, to me, I have to believe because I see all these 159s and 162s on his baseball reference page. And, and also – and again, this is, you know, this is narrative. I get it. Not everybody will go for this type of story. But when Marcus Simeon came into baseball, he was a really bad defender. And he made himself into a guy who actually won a gold glove uh, in one in the season in Toronto. He's a plus defender now. And I, mm-hmm. I think, again, it speaks to work ethic. It speaks to intelligence. Yes. It, it speaks to probably that Ron Washington is a great infield coach, stuff like that. I, I just believe in Marcus Simeon. And last year he was a third-round pick. He should have been a second-round pick. This year I think he's like a borderline on the wheel pick that won't go there. He'll go in the second round, maybe late second round. You might occasionally get him in the third round. Even when Seager, uh, Seager may not play a full season, and there's a guy you can't you can't bet on his durability necessarily, although he's a wonderful player. I think it's a very deep lineup. I'm going to draft Marcus Simeon until it, it proves to be wrong someday. I know age 33 makes people a little bit nervous, maybe. Altuve mm-hmm. is going to be 34. We also have to mention that. But Marcus Simeon, I've, I've made money on him so many years in a row, I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah, I, this top three for me I think is pretty clear, and I am – if I don't get one of the top three, we kind of alluded to this at the beginning. If mm-hmm. I don't get one of the top three, I'm happy to wait and see who falls in whatever draft I'm in. Um, I like these three guys. I think they're valuable. I think they help you in a lot of categories. I'm happy to take them within the top three rounds of most format drafts. Um, and then I'm happy to wait and, and see and see um, if I can get one of the guys that I, you know, I like and that glob falls down. Um, we're going to talk about some sleepers to wrap up the show, but before we do that, Thursday night is another chance to watch a new chapter in college basketball history when Caitlin Clark chases down the all-time NCAA scoring record when Iowa hosts Michigan. Coverage of the Big Ten matchup begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern exclusively on Peacock, so make sure you turn in, tune in on Thursday to check that out. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, to wrap up here, Scott, um, are there any guys that were just off your list, somebody that you're curious about, somebody that you you think kind of like you could see having a, a pretty big leap in, in rankings as the season goes on? Or are there any rookies that you think that we should keep an eye on for like deeper format kind of draft and holds? Any other names you want to mention? We, we talked about him earlier. I'm curious to see what Grissom does in Boston. We know Fenway, there's no basically no foul territory. And he was a good player two years ago. He's still young. I don't see any reason why he won't get 550 at bats. So he's, he's somebody I'm interested in. Can Gavin Lux get a healthy season with the Dodgers? He's just everything that could go wrong for that guy has gone wrong, but there's a path to him getting 500 at bats. He just needs to stay healthy. Maybe the lineup isn't quite as good as it's been the last couple of years, but I, I still believe Gavin Lux is going to, it's going to have a breakout season someday. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I, I haven't given up on him yet. Yeah, and he seems to be their their starting shortstop right now. So, um, you know, that that certainly works in his favor. I agree with you on Grissom. Um, I had Jorge Polanco just off my top 20. He goes in and out. So that's somebody who I still think is, is valuable. Um, Jeff McNeil, I still think gets kind of underrated as a batting average asset. Um, you know, I, I think that he in deeper formats um, or as a middle infield option, if you, you know, missed on some batting average Guys earlier on, I think that he's a good kind of cheap late source um, of batting average. Uh, Bryce Terang for me would be a late source of speed. If you really missed out on speed and you're, you're hurting for speed, it seems like he's going to start at second base for the Brewers. Um, and then two guys on the same team I'm like super interested in, but it's Davis Schneider. Um, I think that I know he came out of nowhere a little bit last year and people were like, who is this guy? He's not really a prospect. He's going to flame out. Um, I think that Davis Schneider has a little bit of that like Isak Paredes approach where like he is trying to pull and lift and hit the snot out of the ball all the time. Um, and that is going to lead to batting average fluctuation, but he's also going to put up decent power numbers. Yes, even in, in that park. I mean, he is somebody whose profile I think is intriguing. Um, he was solid enough at second base that I think that he's going to regularly play second base for them or at least be on uh, play the majority of second base where I could see him getting, you know, 450 plate appearances if they don't bring in anybody else. And I think that is a big thing if they don't bring in anybody else. Like, yes, his, his strikeout rate last year was high. He's not going to hit 270. He might hit, you know, 240. But I think he could hit 240 with 20 home runs in a, in a pretty good lineup if he's playing regularly. And again, we're talking about deeper leagues here because he's not going to be a 550 plate appearance guy. Um, and then I also, deeper league, multi-position, bench guy. I'm really intrigued by by Kevin Biggio because um, they sent him, uh, they sent him down last year. And when he came back, he had drastically changed his approach. Uh, at the beginning of the year last year, and I, because I had to write up the Blue Jays for the Roto World Fantasy Baseball magazine, so I dove in on this a lot. But like at the beginning of the year, he was pulling the ball 52% of the time and hitting the ball in the air 48% of the time. Kevin Biggio is not a home run hitter. He doesn't need to be pulling the ball 52% and hitting 50% fly balls. He came back, 
His pull rate went dropped down to 38%. His fly ball rate dropped down to 36%. Um, and he hit 272 for the rest of the way because that's kind of who he should be as a hitter. And so I think if that approach carries over and you see Kevin Vigio as a 260 hitter who can hit 10 home runs and steal 10 bases while playing some third, playing some second, playing some outfield, I think in deeper formats, he intrigues me as, um, like, if you're in a draft and hold, I kind of really like Kevin Vigio late as a guy who can slot all over the place. And right now, I, I think he's their starting third baseman. But if he's not, if they sign somebody else, I think they bounce him around a lot. And I, I kind of think he's an intriguing guy. It's funny. When, when you said you had two players on the same team and you started with Schneider, I thought for sure the second guy you were going to mention was Justin Turner, who is first base, he is, that's second true, base, yeah. and third base eligible. Probably their cleanup hitter right now. I, as mm-hmm. a Red Sox fan, I was ticked off that Turner wanted to come back, and the Red Sox basically said, no, nah, we're not interested. I get it. He's into an age 39 season, but this is a player. His OPS plus has been above league average for a decade now. He was a plus mm-hmm. hitter. Uh, I mean, again, I'm, I'm glad DJ isn't here because he's going to be like, well, why wasn't he good with the Mets or why didn't the Mets <laughs> play more? But he had a great run with the Dodgers. He had a, a terrific season with the Red Sox. He drives in 96 runs, 276, 345, 455 slash, and hashes out to a 114 OPS plus. So, again, better than league average hitter. Qualifies the three possessions positions. They're just asking the DH, Catbird seat behind Vlad Jr. I Look. I get we have to be careful with players at his age, but he's being drafted just inside of pick 200 in Yahoo leagues. Yeah. I guarantee you'll, you'll make your money back on Justin Turner. Yeah. I love that call. A uh, little concerned about the foot injury that ended last year with him now playing on that turf field. But I think if he's second base eligible in, in your league as, as he is in Yahoo leagues, I think uh, nothing wrong with that. He's going to hit 20 plus home runs with good counting stats and a good batting average, like always. Um, so that's going to do it for our, our second base preview. As we talked about, we will be back later on this week to talk catching, and we'll continue on through all the other positions. If you missed the first base episode, go to the Roto World Baseball Show on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure that you you know you check that out. You can follow us on Twitter or X. Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski. I am at Samski NYC, um, and we will be back for more position preview fantasy baseball goodness so we'll check you next time the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.